Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Let's celebrate the opportunity to be at church this morning. Can we just clap and acknowledge that God has brought us here today? It's so good. If you're with us online, thanks for being with us. We love you and are grateful for you. Uh, maybe you're staying safely at home after what is a second winter, right? We're experiencing in Alaska here today. If you're, you don't, maybe you're not in Alaska, we, uh, we just got dumped on, uh, literally, uh, here in Alaska. So we're digging out. Uh, but we are starting a brand new series called Heart Check. And I love that video. It's just, uh, there are these moments in our lives where we become acutely aware of our hearts. And I don't know what kind of activity you do where it just kind of allows you to be aware of yourself. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you just like to run. Maybe you like to chop firewood, and you're out chopping firewood, and, and just slowly you become more aware of your heart. Uh, some of you are you're, you're strange. You like to clean, and uh, that's just your thing. And you, you're clean, and as you're cleaning, you become aware of your heart, and, uh, and God kind of speaks to you while you're cleaning. But uh, the whole point of this is we want to become aware of what God's doing in the deep parts of who we are. And so that's the beginning of this series called Heart Check. And we're actually walking through, uh, studying through a book as well. And if you haven't picked this up yet, I really want to encourage you to go out to our welcome table before you leave, or if you're online, download uh, the, church, the book Enemies of the Heart by Andy Stanley. So a lot of our small groups are going through this, and it's just going to be a great side conversation to go with the messages for the next few weeks. And, and really the root of this whole conversation is that um, it all comes from your heart, Right? Like, at the, at the root of our problems and our, our uh, struggles in life, like, it comes from the heart. I know that uh, for my wife and I, we've been trying to kind of deal with the heart of the matter for years. Uh, any struggles that we've walked through as a couple, we want to actually deal with what's going on there. And some of the language we've used is that oftentimes we, we end up dealing with the shoots instead of the roots, does that make sense? So like, it's kind of like if you are a gardener, sometimes you pick the weeds out of your garden, but you don't get the root out, which means you know it's going to grow back. 
You're just going to constantly be dealing with the same thing. And so uh, a few years ago, my wife and I actually started going to counseling because we just kind of found that we were having the same argument over and over again. Uh, some of you married people know what I'm talking about, where uh, you're not talking about the same thing initially, but at the end, it's always the same conversation. And we were like, what if we could actually get freedom from this and work through these challenges? And in the end, uh, we, we did. We were able to work through a lot of things because we were willing to deal with the heart. See, this is the reality. It comes from the heart. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever it is that you're struggling with, it comes from the heart. Whether it's things that were good that came from the heart or things that were wrong that we did, ultimately they come from the heart. In fact, the Bible's full of this reality. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. Luke 6.45 says that a good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Mark 7.15, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Again, it's, a, it's an internal job that God, God wants to do in our lives. Jeremiah 17.10, I the Lord search the heart. And examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct. So the Bible's full of this reality. Like it comes from the heart. Your heart is where all of life flows from. And so we need to guard our hearts, be aware of our hearts, and ultimately let Jesus heal our hearts. Does that make sense? So like we, we want to experience that, and we actually think that we can. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to deal with four enemies of the heart. This week, we're talking about guilt. Next week, we're going to talk about anger. Then we're going to talk about greed, and then we're going to deal with jealousy. So it's going to be lots of fun at ACF for the next four weeks. You don't want to miss out on church. I actually do want to really encourage you to be here. Just make a commitment to walk through this, and, and I promise you, your heart will thank you uh, for taking some steps forward in this journey. Uh, curious, in the room, just kind of raise your hands, who here owns a house? Any homeowners in the room? Okay, many of you own your homes. Uh, I remember when we uh, bought our first house, it was one of the most terrifying things I ever did. My wife and I, we sat down in this office, and they pull out a bunch of pens, because apparently we were going to wear them out, and they laid a package of paper that was like 150 pages thick in front of us, right? And they just said, get to signing. And I could feel my anxiety level growing. I could, I could kind of feel my palms starting to sweat, you know. And, and at first, you know, you start to read what you're signing. And then at, at page 50, you're like, I don't even care anymore. I'm just like, who knows what we're signing at this point. But you get to the end of this whole journey, and they begin to define the terms of the loan. Because this is a big deal, right? And they start to show you that, like, you have this debt that you're accepting, that, that when you sign this page, all of a sudden, you owe something to someone else that you cannot pay off. And that's stressful, right? I mean, that's a mortgage. It's kind of stressful. That reality that I owe money to somebody else that I can't pay off. And I want to tell you as we start today that guilt is kind of like that. Guilt is this idea that I owe you. I owe you. And I want you to think as we start off today, where is this in your life? Where have you experienced guilt? Where do you have this sense that you owe somebody, that you're in debt to somebody, whether it's to God, to another person, or maybe even to yourself? Where do you experience guilt? 
We're going to read Psalm 130, and uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. And uh, scholars believe this was written by David. And uh, David is a man that understands guilt. Uh, He's a man that, it's almost like the Bible goes to great lengths to show that God wants to use really broken people for the kingdom. Uh, It wants to show that, like, people who maybe you would never expect to be used by God are used by God despite their poor decisions. And, And we don't know when he was writing this what was in his mind. But there was guilt in his mind. We don't know if he was thinking about uh, his affair with Bathsheba, if you know that journey uh, that he went on, where he has an affair with this woman and then ends up having her husband killed at battle. And like, it was a, it's a mess. It's, it's a soap opera, by the way, if you haven't read the Bible. Like, it's, it's a wild story. But in the end, there was guilt involved with that. We don't know what was in his mind, but we know guilt is real. And so I want to do something a little different as we start. Would you mind standing up here for a minute? And I want us to read God's word together out loud. And I want you to, in your mind as we read this, have that thing, that area of your life where there's guilt. Just get in touch with that moment. And I know you're like, "Ah, I don't really want to go there, but uh, that's kind of why we're here together is we want to go there so that we can get healed. So I want you to just imagine that place in your life. And I want you to imagine that and read this text over that part of your life. And we're going to read it out loud together. Let's do that says this, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Amen. You can be seated. What I love about the Bible is it helps us to give language to what's going on in our hearts. Sometimes we don't really know what to pray or or what to say to God. And, And this is a psalm that I think when you found yourself in this place of despair that you can come back to. You can go, man, I just, I'm, I'm going after you, God, because I think you can actually set me free in this. And when we're talking about guilt, I was thinking about a few things. First, I think there's a lot of ways that we tend to deal with guilt, uh, depending on what maybe you were brought up with or, or used to or, or whatever it may be. We deal with guilt in different ways. Some people just ignore it, Right? Sometimes people just try to get busy, make sure my life is so packed full with things that I don't have to actually deal with my soul. Other people end up embracing it and just saying, like, you know, this is just part of my life. It'll never change. And then other people still end up dealing with their guilt, which is what we're going to try to do this morning is is deal with it. And you can't actually deal with with it until you get over the excuses, Right? And we have, to, we have to acknowledge these excuses. Maybe you've said these things before. First, it's just who I am. Anybody ever said that before? Honestly in the room? Okay. Uh, it's just who I am. I know I've said that before. How about this? It's just my personality. Uh, it's just my Enneagram number, right? I'm a six, right? So it's just what I do. I'm an eight, right? And so we use our personality type as an excuse to do the things that we don't want to do. Maybe it's this. I've been that way my whole life. It's just, I got years of experience in this dysfunction, and it's just never going to change. So why try? How about this? It's just how I was raised, right? No sense dealing with guilt without giving a little bit of it to mom and dad, right? Uh, It's just mom and dad's fault. They raised me 
this way. How about I didn't mean it? We just said that out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? The heart is the, is the wellspring of life. And so whether or not we wanted to say that or the damage was more than we thought it was going to be, the problem with what we say is that we did mean it. There's truth in what we say. That's the power of our words is we have to be careful because there is something in that that we meant, even though maybe the damage was more than we thought. Or maybe you've said this one, it's because they whatever, right? It's because they said this or did that or acted this way that I responded in the way that I responded, so I'd like to transfer my guilt to someone else so that I don't have to deal with what's going on in my life. And I thought, well, where is their guilt in the world today? Where do I experience it? Or many of you experience it. So I wrote a few things down. I, I think sometimes people feel guilt for their provision or their money. Have you ever driven by a homeless person in your climate-controlled car with the heated seats, and they're out there in, you know, six feet of snow holding a sign, and you just kind of feel a little guilty, right? We've all felt that before. Uh, maybe you felt guilt uh, because, you know, you said something that you know you shouldn't have said, and so you carry with you those words that you wish you could take back, but you can't. Uh, I know some women deal with, like, pregnancy guilt, where maybe you have a friend that can't get pregnant and you got pregnant. Now you feel bad for being pregnant. And it's a real thing that you're struggling through. I know there's mom guilt, right? I know there's dad guilt. I don't actually know too many moms or dads who don't feel like they are really screwing their children up, right? Like preparing them for counseling someday. And that's, there's a guilt in that. Like I, I feel like I can never do it right. I, sometimes I think that's why God gave us parenting is to remind us that, uh, that we need him, right? That we need some grace in our lives. Uh, there's something that we've dealt with lately. I, th- I would call it COVID guilt where I think once a week I'll get a text from a friend. It'll go something like this. I am so sorry because I was at the party, and then I went home, and I tested positive for COVID. I am so, and I'm like, did you do it on purpose? Like, why, why are you apologizing for that? Like, were you just sipping from everybody's glasses, trying to share whatever you had? Like, it's not your fault. Like, you just, you got sick. I don't know why you feel so bad about that, but you feel guilt, you know? Some people in church here, um, in about 20 minutes, we're going to have the offering moment, and you'll feel giving guilt. Uh, and, and it'll be that, that moment where it's like, okay, this is the part of the service I don't really participate in, right? And so I'm just going to kind of act or drop a, a prayer card in there and act like I'm giving something or whatever it is. Like, uh, you know, we have this guilt, like, I, I want to give, but I'm just not there yet. And so maybe you feel guilty for that. So most of you feel guilty for not making enough money. Maybe you love what you do, but it's not paying well. And, and you don't really want to change that, but you feel guilty that you're not maybe going after a job that pays better. Some of us feel guilty for not becoming who our parents wanted us to become. And we know that we've let them down in one way or another. And, and the thing about all these different types of guilt is that some of them are healthy and some of them are not. And I, wanted, I, wanted, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but a few weeks ago I talked about shame. And I talked about how in the life of a believer that shame is never a good thing. God never uses shame to motivate you. So you need to understand this. And I, I define the, the difference between guilt and shame is guilt is I did bad and shame is I am bad, okay? So shame is at a root level. It's like I identify with my sin, but as believers in Jesus, we no longer identify with our sin. We identify with Christ alone, okay? So that's, that's who we are. We are not what we've done that's wrong because Christ has, has covered that. But then there's guilt. Now, what do we do with guilt? Because I do believe that God uses guilt in a healthy way in the life of a believer, 
And in the end, what I believe, I'm going to define it this way to simplify things, that there is good guilt and bad guilt. And good guilt, I would say, comes from an absence of holiness. In other words, it's when you chose to do something that does not align with the character of God. That's what holiness is. God is holy. Holiness is just to be set apart, to be different from the world around you. So when we choose to live in a lesser way, to go like, I'm not going to live the way that God defined and and has created me to live. I'm going to live different then we're not choosing holiness, and we feel guilty for that. So, uh, right or wrong, I say something hurtful and damaging to a friend, should I feel guilty for that? Yes, yes, I should, right? Uh, Right or wrong, if I steal money from you, should I feel guilty for that? Yes, okay, we're getting a little more honest here, okay, right? We know that, like, we should feel guilt for those things. Again, guilt is not I am bad, guilt is I did something bad. And we know that it's healthy to acknowledge the, the things that we do are wrong. Bad guilt comes from an absence of truth. It's when there's something in your life that you should not feel guilt for, that you are not seeing through the lens that God sees it, and so you, you don't understand how to view it. And so because of that absence of truth, you feel an unhealthy, unhelpful type of guilt. Okay? For something that God is not shaming you because you have a decent job or shaming you because you got pregnant or whatever it is. Like, like this is not something that God is trying to, you're not guilty of doing anything wrong. It's a bad guilt because you don't see what the truth is in that moment. And these, both of these affect us in different ways. Good guilt leads us to a better way, right? Like when we acknowledge, okay, that was the wrong thing then we can do something right. Until you acknowledge that it was not right, you can't do, do the right thing, right? Whereas bad guilt All it does is leave us in our sin or feeling guilty about things that we didn't do wrong. A good guilt makes us sorry for what we did wrong. Is that a good thing? Like, isn't it good in your life when somebody who hurt you is sorry for it? Isn't that good? But then there's bad guilt, which makes us sorry for getting caught. Have you been there? You're like, I wasn't sorry until I got caught, and now I'm just embarrassed, and now I'm like really sorry about this thing I did. But but you're not sorry. You're just, you know, embarrassed. But it's not about the thing that you did wrong. Good guilt reminds us of the punishment that Christ took for us. Reminds us of how desperately we need grace. But bad guilt, all it does is causes us to punish ourselves. We beat ourselves up. We carry things around that Christ has already dealt with. That's a bad type of guilt. And the only way to understand what we actually did wrong, this good kind of guilt, is if we know it, right? Well, how do we know it? Well, John 8, 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So I hope you came to church today for one really important thing, and that's for the truth. Right? I hope you came... for the truth today. And I know that sometimes people resist coming to church because they don't want the truth, right? This happens a lot of times is when we're struggling and we're maybe caught up in some area of our life where we've given into temptation, we're caught up in sin. What people tend to do is they avoid the church. They put their Bible away, right? They want to avoid the people of God because they know that they might feel guilty for it. And so in those moments where we should lean into the truth, we run away from it and destroy ourselves. See, the truth will set you free, but that means you're going to have to deal with a little bit of guilt. So the question is, is freedom worth that moment of guilt? 
Are you willing to acknowledge that you've made some mistakes so that you might be set free? This is at the root of salvation, friends. Like at the root of getting saved and and, and having your heart transformed by Jesus is the moment you stand before God, you look into his eyes, you see the holiness of Jesus, and you go, wow, I'm guilty. Like if you're here at church today and you're like, not guilty of anything, you're just not ready for salvation, right? Like you don't need to be saved from something that you don't feel like you need saving from, right? Salvation, the idea of being saved, is like, I need saved. I am guilty. I am in the pit. I need help, right? And so this means that there must be some actual truth that exists. I mean, this means we have to actually come around some objective moral standard, which is why we go to the Word of God, right? This is why, like, if the truth will set us free, then there there must be one truth. And, And we can't just define that for ourselves, but the society we live in is really a society that says, hey, you do you, define your own truth for yourself, live your truth, shout your truth, whatever your truth is, which is just hurting us. It's damaging people because we, then we're like, okay, I set the moral standard for my life. Okay, I'll just define truth for myself, and guess what? I can't even live up to that. So the world isn't experiencing more freedom today as we define our own truth. The world isn't feeling more, uh, more grace and more acceptance because we're like, oh, there's no truth. Just you, you do you. Do whatever truth you want. No, it's not helping us. But I just promise you, when we acknowledge that God is truth, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? In other words, Jesus is the truth. He embodies the truth. He was the walking truth, right? And when we live in light of who Jesus is, we will experience freedom. That's the promise. So how do we deal with guilt? Is there a way for us to move through this? Why would Brian say, think about that part of your life, that, 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 it, that is hurtful, that you wish never happened, that makes you feel guilty. And the reason I want you to think about that part of your life is because I do think Christ wants to set you free. I do think that you can leave here lighter, not carrying the wounds of your guilt, but moving forward. And so I want to give you three things that we can do when it comes to our guilt. Psalm 130, verse 1 says this. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. So the first thing that we need to do when we acknowledge guilt is we need to walk towards restitution. Restitution. Now, now restitution is a, this is a biblical idea. And this psalmist is finding himself in this place. He's in this pit. He's in despair. And we know that he's gotten himself there. I mean, as you read the words, you don't read him saying, man, somebody pushed me into this pit. Somebody else did something to me. And we know that he made some mistakes because when he cries out to God, he cries out for what? Mercy. Notice that. It's, it's an important word. He doesn't cry out for help. Just help me. He says, I need mercy because I messed this up. Like I'm starting off by acknowledging my sin. That I'm in this pit, up to my neck, about to drown, and I need mercy because this is on me. When's the last time you said those words? That was on me. That was just my fault. Those are words that should come out of our mouths consistently because um, if you're not saying that, it's not because things are not your fault. It's just because you're not seeing it. And so the psalmist, he, he's just like crying out for mercy. And, and, and you just sense like he's trying to figure out, he wants to make this right, the situation that he finds himself in. 
And we see this biblical concept of restitution throughout, throughout the Bible. And it's not something we talk a lot about in the church. We talk a lot about the grace of God, and God forgives you for your mistakes, and he accepts you, and all of those things are true, but restitution is also important. Read this in Exodus 22. It says, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Now, you're like, I haven't stolen any sheep lately. That's fine. Interject whatever it is. It can be a snowblower. It can be money. It can be anything. But it can be like, if you steal something from someone else, what you see in the idea of restitution in the Bible is it's not a one-for-one thing. It's never, well, just give it back and you're good. It's this idea that when you do something wrong, there is a debt that is incurred with interest, right? It's not just the debt. It's not like, well, if I just, okay, um, sorry. It's like, it doesn't make it better. There's like, there is interest that's incurred. It's not like one for one, but it's like one for five, right? One for four that, that you do to, to make it right, right? And so uh, Zacchaeus, it makes me think about him a little bit, um, which if you grew up in the church, Zacchaeus was a, I don't know why we say that, but anyway, <laughs> he was short in stature. Uh, a wee little man, right? Uh, but we know that Zacchaeus had an encounter with Jesus. Uh, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Um, in other words, he was, uh, he was a professional thief. And he was hated by, both by the, the Jews and the Gentiles. And I mean, everybody hated the tax collectors. Um, and and he, he'd been stealing for years. And he's feeling, uh, when he encounters Jesus, he feels some, some guilt over this. And he's like, man, I've been a thief. And he knows that. He feels that guilt. Here's what we read in Luke 19, 9. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now is Jesus like, Okay, Okay, thank you, Zacchaeus. You did something wrong. You're trying to make it right by giving somebody back fourfold what you stole because you did the right thing and because you gave those things back, and now you're saved. Is that what he's saying? No. What Jesus is acknowledging is that Zacchaeus' heart had been transformed by Christ to the point that he wanted to fix what was wrong. You just sense, like, even in Zacchaeus, a, a joyful restitution. Does that make sense? Now, that might sound weird to you, but some of you have been through this, where you have messed something up, and God changed your heart, and you felt conviction for it, and you ran toward the person you had wounded, and in joy in your heart, and filled with grace, you said, whatever, what can I do? Like, how can I fix this? Uh, because, man, I feel forgiven by Jesus. There's been grace in my life. I hope you can forgive me, and I, I just want to do whatever it takes to, to fix this. You see, restitution is the desire to make it right. That's what it is. It's when you see a wrong in your life, and you're like, how can I make it right? I'm in debt to this person, and it's not that I'm going to try to make it right because then God will love me or accept me or forgive me. No, because God forgives me, I'm going to make it right. And I just want to fix what's going on here. And this is so important is that when we sin, there are always multiple parties that are offended and that are, that, are, that are hurt by that, right? When we make those decisions, God is always wounded and that other person is always wounded. And I think in the church, sometimes we, we focus on God 
Because we're like, well, I can just kind of go to God anytime, you know? I don't have to embarrass myself. I can just kind of go to God in the quietness of my house and pray and say, God, forgive me for that thing. But do you know that we've also offended someone else? And, and, and in fact, as we read through the Bible, we see that these, these horizontal relationships with one another are actually deeply affecting the vertical relationship we have with God. And, and we have to make it right. In fact, in Matthew 5.23, Jesus says, if you've got a problem with somebody else and you come to church and you want to bring your sacrifice to God, whatever it is, you know what? Just leave that sacrifice at the door. Go make it right with that person and then come back and make your sacrifice. Can you imagine if we started doing that at ACF? We just like have a little clipboard at the door. It's like, um, Brian Cook, Brian Cook, yep. Um, do you have any problems with anybody in your life that you haven't completely made right and, and not apologized for before you come into church today? Okay, leave. Yeah, you're going to have to go. You're going to have to go and, and go fix it and then come back to ACF, and we'd love to have you, right? Can you imagine? You'd be like, what kind of church is that? But he's, I mean, really, it's that reality that we want to come in here and go, God, you're so good. God, thanks for your grace. We've got one hand in the air worshiping God, and the other hand is strangling someone in our lives. And, and God's like, that's not worship. Like, you can't do that. You've got to go make that right with that person, and then you can come before me with a cleansed heart, with a clean heart, like ready to honor and worship me. So that's with each other. How does restitution work with God? Psalm 133 says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? So question, can you make it right with God? Answer, no. You just can't. Like, if, if the debt I incur for my sins shows back up with interest, who could stand? And the answer to that question is, no one can stand. Like, if you stand before a holy God and and you have all of this sin in your life, like, there's no way to access that God except by the grace of Christ. And this is the truth that we come back to as people. And and this is is the reality that as, as the church, we come back every week to celebrate the grace of Jesus. Not to celebrate that we are good, but to celebrate that God is good. And that's why the church, when, when you understand what we're doing here, you won't show up and be like, oh, these people all think they're holy. They think they're perfect. That's why they're here. No, they're here because they're acknowledging their sin and their need for a Savior. That's why they're here. That's why I'm here. Say, we come together and say, we need grace. So I don't care how much good you do. I don't care how many driveways you shovel today. You cannot pay God off. You just don't have enough in the account. And you never will. So catch this, we can never make ourselves right with God, but Jesus makes us right with himself and others. You see, the cross was our restitution. The cross was our payment. The cross was that that way of making it right before a holy God that we could never have made right on ourselves. And I think if we start to believe that, we'll walk a little freer. You see, I've been guilty of this too. Is that like, like all, I don't know if you grew up with hymns. Remember the hymn, Jesus Paid It All? Like, I'd be, like, singing Jesus paid it all on Sunday, and then I'd live, like, the check bounced on Monday, right? Like, Jesus paid it all, but I'm still going to pay a little bit, right? I'm still going to pay it off. And again, it's not, this is a small twist, but it's this idea that, like, I'm going to make myself a little bit more acceptable before God by what I do versus this joyful restitution. This idea that, God, I will serve you for the rest of my life. I will sacrifice for you. I will go and love others in the name of Jesus, not so that God will love me, but because he loves me. 
And when you get that right, man, you can do that with joy in your heart. The second thing that we can do with guilt is repentance. Repentance. Psalm 134 says, But with with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. You see that? You see, there's forgiveness that then leads to the service. There's forgiveness that out of reverence for this God that we can't believe would would forgive us leads to that service, but it begins with repentance. Now, what is repentance? It's kind of a churchy word. I don't know if you've grown up around the word repentance, but repentance is just a changing of mind that leads to a change of direction. That's all it is. It's just like I'm going to think different about my life by the power of God in me so that I can change my life. It's not just about behavior. It's also a mindset. Because how many of you know you can't change your behavior until you change your mind? And so when God changes your mind, when you finally go like, I'm going to think differently about this sin in my life, this is no longer acceptable, then maybe your behavior will change. Otherwise, your, your behavior will, will never change. And so that is repentance. And repentance through the Bible is directly tied to confession. They're like, they're like two sides of the same coin, uh, confession and repentance. And the purpose of confession is to lead us into repentance, right? Like we confess so that we can Repent. And the Bible's full of this. Confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed, right? So, so this is this idea that, like, confession is so important, and it's great to do it. But how many of you, can you think of, like, the first time you confessed something? And then do you remember, like, the second time you confessed that same thing? Do you remember, like, the tenth time you confessed that thing? Maybe, like, the, the hundredth time you confessed that same thing in your life? You see... I think a lot of us grew up in the church and maybe around the word confession, but confession can become a way to relieve guilt without dealing with it. It's, it's kind of like an ibuprofen, right? It's like, it makes me feel better, but I didn't actually fix whatever's wrong. Just pop a little confession, right? Just a little bit of confession in my life makes me feel better, but I'm not fixing the problem. Some of you grew up in a regular habit of confession in the church which I think is a great thing. I honestly think that we need more confession in our lives, um, not less. It's actually a really good thing. In fact, probably daily, we all should take a moment with God at night or in the morning and just go, God, reveal to me where I have wounded someone else or where I have lived in a distorted view of myself or others or where I have not walked in holiness. Okay, there it is. God, forgive me for that. I confess that. Change my mind about that. Like, I think that needs to be part of our regular routine in life. But I believe confession without a desire to change is just a way to make ourselves feel better. It's like, I, just, I said it, so I must be good. No, you're not good. There's no value in saying it if there's no desire in making it feel better. So here's an illustration. I uh, remember a few years ago we had a leaky sink in our bathroom. And so like any good DIY guy, um, I fixed it by putting a bucket underneath it, right? And then I just walked away. I was like, done. That's why they pay me around here, right? And so I, I came back the next day, and I opened up the, 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 the door there, and there it was almost full to the brim, and I picked it up, and I dumped it in the sink and put the bucket underneath, and then came back that evening, and I opened up the door, and there it was almost full, and I picked up the bucket, I dumped it in the sink, and then I, I did it again, right? I woke up the next morning, I opened the door, it was almost full again, I picked the bucket up, I dumped it in the sink, and I did it again. That's confession. That's confession without a desire to change, right? Where have you done this in your life? You've said, hey, I will never speak to my wife that way or my husband that way again. 
I confess that that was so wrong. You wake up the next day, you get the bucket, you pour it down the sink, and then maybe you do it again. Maybe you're like, I will never go to that website again. I will never click on that link again. I will never message that person that is not my spouse again. Then tomorrow happens, and you kind of feel a little better. You get a meal in your stomach, and you open the door, and the bucket's full, and you pour down the sink, and you, you do it again, right? You say, God, I'm going to begin trusting you with my finances and tithing when I get that raise, when I pay off the credit cards, when the kids go to college, maybe at retirement, maybe someone's going to give some of my inheritance when I die. That would be great. Like, and then we fill up the bucket, we pour it down the drain, we do it again, we just put it off. Like, just put it off, put it off. Whatever it is, you say, I'm never going to gossip about them again. I'm never going to speak negatively about that person again. Then they do something tomorrow that enrages you. And you say something to somebody else and you, you deface them to someone else and you fill up the bucket you poured down. This is confession without a desire to change. Andy Stanley says it this way. He says, when I was tempted to sin, I would reason to myself, I know this is wrong, but if I go through with it, I can always confess it to God and God will forgive me and everything will be fine. Before long, my confession habit was supporting my sin habit. You should buy the book, by the way. It's, it's good. What do we know about continually sinning? What do we know about just continually going back to that thing that is destroying us and others? Hebrews 10.26 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, that, that word is important, by the way, deliberately. That's with intention, with an without a willingness and a desire to change, deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's big, right? The Bible talks about this like we are trampling on the cross. When we say, I'm going to continue in this behavior, it's like we, would, we have turned the cross of Christ into the doormat for our house, just wiping our feet on it every day. Uh, it also talks about this idea, it's like we are sacrificing and crucifying Christ all over again, every day. It's like every day Christ is like, I forgive you. He, it's this idea like, I imagine Christ being crucified for all of those sins, and the next day I do everything again with no desire to change, and I'm like, Christ, would you get back on the cross again for me? I'd like you to be crucified again for that. And this is the intensity and the reality of continually, deliberately sinning. And notice this, this is not the believer who is honestly struggling with sin, okay? This is important. If you're here today and you are struggling with sin, praise God. It's when you stop struggling that it becomes a real problem. If you're struggling and every day you're like, oh, I get God, help me, heal me. You're confessing, you're talking with others, people are praying for you, like you're seeking restoration by God every single day. You're struggling with that sin, that sin still grieves your heart. You are in the right place. There's this guy named Paul who wrote most of the New Testament who had something in his life that he kept doing or experiencing or that was tormenting his soul. And he just kept pleading with God, God, heal me from this thing, free me from this thing. But then he says, but your grace is sufficient for my weakness. And your strength is made perfect when I am weak. Somehow the glory of God is revealed when we can't fix it. You see, this is so key for us to understand the difference and also understand the weight of continually going down these roads. And I was convicted about this this week. I was thinking about the reality. The Bible says the Lord disciplines those he loves, right? And we go, okay, that's, 
That's beautiful. Like, if I'm a good dad, I'll discipline my children, right? I'm not a good dad if I just don't discipline my kids. So the Lord disciplines those he loves. And so as I live in unrepentant sin in my life, what I'm literally doing is saying, God, show me how much you love me in this part of my life. That is an invitation for the discipline of God. Like, God, prove it. Discipline me in this part of my life. And the thing about God is, man, he loves you so much, he'll do it. And I've experienced that. And it's always, not because he has some bone to pick, doesn't make God feel better, right? It's because he loves us. And he has something better for us. You see, once we choose to follow Jesus, we don't repent for forgiveness. We repent because of forgiveness. We don't do it so that God's gonna relent or so that he uh, will forgive us. We do it because we are children of the Most High God. And, and we can't believe he loves us. And so because of that love, we will repent. Psalm 135 says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word, I put my hope. The last step in dealing with our guilt, I believe, is restoration. Restitution, repentance, restoration. Do you know God can restore the things that you thought could never be restored? Do you know you can be healed from stuff that you thought you could never be healed from? I have seen marriages, and I'm not making this up, like where there's been multiple affairs in the relationship from both parties who have come back together and who have been restored by the power of God working in their marriage. And it's a miracle, you guys. It's miraculous. I've seen friends in this church who didn't used to be friends, who actually used to really hate one another, and there was just something wrong in the relationship. And every time they saw one another, there were things going on. But at, at, at one point, they just both sat down and said, let's have the hard conversation. Let's just talk it out with a heart of repentance. With a heart to go like, hey, whatever I've paid, I want, uh, whatever I've taken, I want to give it back fourfold. And then that relationship was restored. I've seen people in this church who literally laugh about the reality that they are part of the church. They just can't believe that they call themselves a Christian today. As they look at the journey that they've been on, they're like, you have no idea how much I don't deserve to be here. And they just, they've seen the power of God to restore. And I love the psalmist. What does he put his hope in? The word. He says, my whole being waits. I wait for God. In other words, he's like, I'm stuck in this pit. I'm drowning. I can't save myself. I need mercy. I'm waiting on God. You see, the other two things you can do, you can do, you can do some restitution, you can do some repentance, but you can't restore that part of your life. But that's the part that God does in his own way. See, God's word is what he puts his hope in. Not himself. I'll tell you, I think a lot of Christians read this verse this way. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in my ability to change, I put my hope. That's not what it says, is it? Your ability to change is not what you need to put your hope in. Once again, you will always fail yourself. I will always fail myself. I put my hope in God. I put my hope in his word. And what does his word say? 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you're still sitting here in church today after all of this, and you're like, I'm pretty sure I'm the one person in this room who has no sin in their life. You have deceived yourself. 
But he goes on, he says, but if we confess our sins, he being God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the work is God's to cleanse you. You will never be satisfied. You will never be free. You will never be healed. What the world can offer you when it comes to your guilt is just distraction. And then it always comes back, doesn't it? In those quiet you know, mornings, in those, those moments of the evening, when you're just laying in bed, like, if you just distracted yourself from your guilt, it will always return. And it is robbing more from you than you realize. Jesus doesn't distract us from our guilt. He sets us free from it. And he wants to give you that as a free gift today. So we're going to celebrate something together. If you're a believer in Jesus, would you find your communion cup? And if you're with us online, I want to encourage you, uh, maybe you just need to find some stuff in your house. If you don't have grape juice or bread, don't worry about that. Um, I'm pretty sure like Mountain Dew and pizza rolls would be just fine with God. Whatever you've got in the fridge and whatever you've got to drink, it's not so much about the actual elements. And if you're in the room and you don't have one of these cups, just put your hand in the air and uh, one of our ushers will get you one of these. We celebrate communion as a church. We try to do this about once a month. And this is a, it's a physical rehearsal, an example of what happened on the cross. And so Jesus told us to celebrate this. He told us to, to remind ourselves of this. And when you think about it, it's interesting that we're eating something. Like, I mean, it could have been some other ceremony, but, but Jesus says, I want you to eat something to remember me. And I think it's this idea that the word of God, the truth of God can be external, but something changes when it gets inside of you. Some of you have only heard the truth, but it's never gotten inside of you. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, just feel free to watch and just kind of reflect and maybe ask God to speak to you. But um, this is for believers today. The word of God says when Jesus had given thanks, he took bread and he broke it. What's interesting is that I've always kind of thought about that moment as just the breaking of the bread. But there's a symbol here. And he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I believe that Jesus meant, sure, eat the bread, but he also meant be broken. He broke the bread, showing his brokenness of his body. And there is something God blesses, a humble and contrite heart. God will bless. But it means being broken before him and saying, God, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm guilty. And so would you just take the bread and eat and do this in remembrance of Christ. Then he took the cup and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. I'm doing a new thing in the world. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's day until he returns. Would you drink the cup? next few moments, I want to do something a little different than we normally do. Um, the band's going to come up and we're going to sing. But I want you to just consider maybe just sitting in your seat for a moment. Um, maybe you just need to stay right where you're at. But I want you to get your heart and your body in a posture of repentance. And it's just a place to receive grace from God. So I don't know if you just need to stay in your seat. If you want to kneel somewhere, you can do that. Like, feel free. 
and it might feel weird, but get in a posture that reflects repentance. And so we're going to pray together. And so I'm just going to kneel here. If you want to pray, however you want to pray, let's just uh, ask God to heal us from our guilt. God, thank you so much that you will honor those who come before you humbly. God, you know the burden of our sin was something that we could never bear. God, you knew it before the beginning of time, and so you set in motion a plan to heal the world, to heal us. God, forgive us for the times that we have trampled on the cross. Forgive us for those moments that we have invited your just discipline into our lives. God, forgive us for confessing with no desire to change. Today, God, I pray that we would desire to be transformed not out of shame, not out of some twisted desire to pay you off or pay you back, but merely because of our awareness of your good grace. May you fill us with such gratitude that we can't help but change. May your spirit empower us in ways that we've never been empowered before. God, give someone in this room the courage to to have a hard phone call today. Give someone in the room today the courage to have a hard talk with someone. Give someone the courage in this room today to look to you as their God and just to say, I'm sorry, and to accept your good grace. Thank you, God, for loving us. We don't deserve it, but we receive it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.